How do you describe an experience with Amore Ministries? Come build hope. That's their slogan. But what does hope even look like? 44 students and adults all left our comfort zones at home and headed to Rosarito, Mexico with no idea of what was ahead. Everything leading up to this experience was so much fun as we grew as a team, prayed for what God had in store, and even brushed up on our soccer skills. To be in another country and experience a different culture was exhilarating. But as soon as we pulled up to our campsite, everything changed. We got to truly experience life for so many people. From sleeping in tents on the dirt to taking bucket showers, we were reminded that we definitely weren't home anymore. When you experience these things firsthand, the things you hope for really begin to change. We started each day with a 45-minute drive from campsite to worksite. Showing up that first day, we were overwhelmed with the idea of building a house. It's still unbelievable to think about what they called a home before. But as we got to meet with the family we were building a house for, there was a sense of purpose that snuffed out any anxiety we may have been facing. We began to see their eyes and lives light up as we were building hope for them. By the way, when was the last time you used a handsaw? It's not that easy. Nail by nail, by nail, by nail, and by redoing what shouldn't have been nailed with more nails, we began to see this house take shape. Day by day, with each coat of stucco, a family was seeing a blessing come to life. Our teams worked so hard, grew closer together, and united behind the thought of giving a family a place to call their own. There is no feeling like handing a family keys to a new home, knowing that our few days of work has significantly altered their future. So what does Come Build Hope mean? We came to realize that hope looks a lot like love, and building hope in someone's life is sharing the love of Christ with them. And that is why we do this. Come build hope. Uh, my name is Travis, and I'm the high school director here. And I love that line, right? That hope looks a lot like love. That, that's what it was. Hope looks a lot like love. And we, when we went down there to Mexico, we didn't really know what we were getting into. We didn't know on, on both sides of the equation what we were getting into. This idea of sleeping in tents on the dirt for a week. You're like, well, have you not camped? It's a little bit different for some reason, right? I don't know why, but it's a little bit different. And then the bucket showers. The bucket showers were no joke. How many of you guys have ever been to Blue Lake or Redfish? Right? You guys have been there? And you don't get in the water, do you? Because it's cold. Okay, imagine taking that water and pouring it over your body just to get yourself wet. And then you got to put soap and shampoo. And then you take the water and you pour it over. And you pour it over. I got to pour it over again. You have more soap, right? You pour this water on you. And that's just day one. You do this every single day. They were no joke. Talk to somebody who went on the trip. And if they tell you they enjoyed the bucket showers, they're lying to your face. And you need to have a follow-up conversation about it. But I love that we got to recap uh, the Mexico mission experience. And if that's something that you're interested in, I want to encourage you to mark that on your communication card. Right? We're going back in 2020. And it's high schoolers, young adults, and adults as well. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and sign up for it. Um, 
but the reason we went down there was our, our love for Jesus. Our love for Jesus was why we went down to build hope, as it was said. And your love for Jesus will push you to do a lot of different things in life. And that's exactly what we're going to find in this passage that we're in today. Paul's love for Jesus ultimately leads him to share with the Corinthian church some of his concerns, right? Here, here at Rock Harbor, we try to take more of an expository approach when it comes to Scripture, right? When it comes to going through the Bible, we're going to take uh, a book of the Bible and go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just find out what, uh, what the authors and the Holy Spirit were writing, what they're saying, and how that applies to us, right? It's a little bit different than a, a topical approach, uh, which would be where you, you pick a specific topic, and then what does the Bible say about that? Right, think about the idea of what does the Bible say about marriage versus what does 2 Corinthians 11 say? You see the difference in that? And so since we're going to go about that this way, um, Rocky has actually provided a beeping sound over here to the left that's going to keep you focused because God wants us to get uh, something out of this passage today. So don't mind about that, but just think about this. As we've picked 2 Corinthians to go through this year as a church under our deeply rooted theme, we're we're not going to do this again. Next year, we will not go through 2 Corinthians again. In two years, we're not going to go through 2 Corinthians. This is the book that God impressed on our heart to go through this year, right? And, And so I think with that being the case, this may be the only time we cover this passage. And so we should probably dig down deep and find out why, God, why do you want us to go through this? What do you have us to learn through this right now? Okay. And so to recap a little bit, uh, a few weeks ago, we were introduced to this idea of strongholds, right? Scott talked about strongholds in our life, and he gave us a list from from A, anger, B, I'm not going to go through all of them, okay? A all the way to Z. And I think if I remember correctly, S was shoes. Is that right? Maybe that was just my stronghold. Uh, In the first service, somebody said, maybe it's socks. (laughs) I have socks on, okay? I do have socks on, so you've been played. But anyway, A to Z, with strongholds in our life. And then he said that the way that we're going to overcome those strongholds is to take every thought captive. Everything that comes in our mind, take it captive and take it to God, right? And and then last week, we started to see this idea of Paul... um, having to defend himself to these false apostles. And, and Brandon shared with us this idea of Paul boasting. But his boasting was not in himself. His boasting was in the Lord. And so I sent Brandon a text after I said, man, that was a great message. Way to go. He said, it's all, it's all God. I'm just going to boast in the Lord. I was like, whatever. Okay, I get it. But then Monday, I'm pretty sure he was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm kidding. It was a great, great message. And just showing us that our boasting should be done in the Lord. And so today we're continuing with with what we've kind of been going through. And uh, 2 Corinthians 11 verses 1 through 15 is simply titled Paul and the False Apostles. Right there, right off the bat, this is what I'm talking about with expository preaching, right? You have to go with what the passage says. I would love for Keith to have a conversation with me or shoot me a text and say, Travis, I would like for you to go over John 11 35. That's like the memorization passage. You guys are like, what? I thought it was John 3.16. Yes, for God so loved the world. I get that. But a very close second should be John 11.35. Does anybody know what that is? Be confident. Say it out loud. Jesus wept. That's it. Okay, I'm going to say John 11.35, and you guys simply say Jesus wept. Ready? Here we go. John 11.35. Jesus wept. 
You have just memorized scripture. Congratulations. Well done. I would love to to get that passage because I'm a feeler. I get emotional at times and I feel like I could give an entire message about Jesus weeping and why this applies to us. But instead I get to cover Paul and the false apostles. So uh, these false apostles are these super apostles as Paul will will call them with I'm sure a little bit of sarcasm. Uh, They were causing the Corinthian church uh, to turn away from Paul, but more so to turn away from Christ right? As Paul's reputation begins to break down, Christ's reputation goes with it. And so Paul is going to stop at nothing to show his love for this church and point them back toward Jesus. And there's two ways in this passage that he does it. Okay, if you're taking notes, two ways that he does it. Jealousy and generosity. Okay, he's going to show them that he is jealous for them and that he has been generous to them. Jealous for them and generous to them. Verse 1, he says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you. A divine jealousy. Those might be two words you've never thought about before. I don't know if I'm supposed to be jealous. I'm not supposed to be envious, right? But jealousy is something that, that God feels for us. And Paul says, I have a divine jealousy. I'm jealous for you like God's jealous for you. Paul is jealous for the Corinthian church like God is jealous for us this morning. A divine jealousy. He says, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Right? This divine jealousy. He looks at them as if he's looking at a bride, right? A bride before her wedding day. He's introduced them to Jesus, and Jesus is coming, but they're allowing themselves to be deceived. They're allowing themselves to stray away from a a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Think about for a second that you are a friend of the groom, right? Maybe the best man, friend of the groom, and uh, his fiance, the bride, is starting to flirt around with different guys, right? Don't you think that you would say something? Don't you think that you would want her to stay pure for your friend, the, the groom, who ultimately is the perfect husband for her? Right? That's exactly where Paul finds himself. And he actually takes it a step further because he has a responsibility to do just that, a responsibility to do that. If you guys remember, Paul planted this church, And so these are essentially his spiritual children. Think about your children for a second, getting involved in things that they shouldn't be, getting involved in things that are not pure. Don't you think you would have a conversation with them? That you would have the difficult conversation? Without a doubt. I know you would because you love them. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in this passage. And the reason he's doing it is he understands something that maybe they don't. Or he understands something that they might not be thinking about. Right? The, the first note on your program, if you're a note taker, he understands that a divided heart leads to a defiled life and ultimately a destroyed relationship. Right? The moment that they begin to divide their heart to, to Jesus and blank, Jesus and these other false gospels, Jesus and my good deeds, Jesus in money, Jesus in this relationship, 
You, you start to live an impure life, a defiled life. And ultimately, you're going to see your relationship with Jesus destroyed. Right? And so he sees this. It's almost as if he's saying, can I show you where you're headed? You're my spiritual children. Can I show you where you're going? That this step is going to lead to this step and ultimately to a place that you don't want to be. So be mindful to not divide your heart. He says in verse 4, If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You put up with it easily enough. Right? This is so important. He, he's saying that anybody who comes to you with, with anything, right, you, you put up with it. You're interested in it. You even accept it. It doesn't matter what it is. These people come to you with all kinds of things. Again, think of your child for a second. You would look at them and you would say, what are you doing? You, you can't do this. You cannot do this. What is going on? Right? And this is Paul's heart in this passage. Who, who is Jesus? What is the good news about what Jesus has done? These answers need to add up to what Paul has already preached, what Paul has already shared with them, and they're not adding up right now. Right? And, and we can look all over and we can see a little bit of Jesus in, in this passage as well as in our culture today. But there's this statement that I can't seem to get away from. You put up with it readily enough. Easily enough. And I just have a thought. Do we do the same thing? That people come with different things and we just put up with it easily enough. Why, why do we do that? Because we're afraid? Or maybe because we, we don't know the answer? Why is it? Because we really value this friendship or this relationship? Right? We have to understand that when the wrong Jesus is spoken, we should be mindful of it and how to point people back to him, back to the true Jesus. When the wrong Jesus is spoken about, we have to be able to get people back to him. Uh, a few months ago, I had this man knock on my door, and uh, he is from a Bible-believing church here in town, uh, a church plant, and they're going around, and they were going door-to-door, uh, talking to people about Jesus, inviting people to their church, and answering any questions that people might have. And so he said, hey, just want to find out, do you, go to, do you go to a church here in town? And I said, I do. I, I go to a church. And so he said, oh, okay, that's awesome. And I thought he was going to go ahead and leave because I was like, I, I already go to a church. I'm not going to come to your church. And um, not that I wouldn't enjoy going to his church, just I'm on staff at this church, and that might be a little bit awkward. But I said, oh, we already go to a church. And he said, well, that's, that's great. Can I, can I ask you a question? And I later came to realize this was a bit of a challenge, but I said, Sure, you can ask me a question. I just told him I went to another church. I, no, leave. Uh, I probably shouldn't do that. And so I said, sure. We have these little rocks on our patio that my little sister painted, and they have different Bible verses. And so when your little sister paints something for you, you hang on to it because you want to be a good big brother. If you've not done that, then you're not a good big brother. Just, I mean, it's the truth, okay? Um, and they're sitting there on our patio, and they have these verses on them. And he said, can I ask you a question? Can you tell me what the gospel is? The good news? And that's where I say it was a bit of a challenge that he was coming at me with. I said, uh, yeah. You know, like, you're going door to door. You're supposed to tell me the gospel. But sure, I can, I can tell you what it is. I said, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He, he lived a sinless life. 
Um, he was beaten and spit upon and mocked and ultimately crucified for my sins, for your sins. Uh, he died and was buried, but three days later he rose from the dead, right? Defeating sin in the grave. He witnessed to over 500 people over the next 40 days. He ascended into heaven and one day he's coming back. And because of what he did on the cross, we can find salvation and we can find eternal life. That's just what I told him. I, I said, I, I'm going to start with Jesus. And what did Jesus' life look like? And, and where's our hope found now? And he took a step back and he said, can I be honest with you? You're probably the third person I've ever heard get it right. right? And I don't say that to say, look at me, I got it right. This man, we had a great conversation. He, he used to be a missionary, just a godly man. He knew scripture. I say that because I think that's the case in a lot of our culture. That there's a little bit of Jesus everywhere. And we know a little bit of Jesus to get through a conversation, but we might not actually know everything of what we're talking about. We had this great conversation, and, and as he, I did tell him I was on staff at Rock Harbor. Okay, so I came clean. I told him I was on staff. And then um, he went away. He said, this has been awesome. He says, Romans 1.16, I'm unashamed. And I said, yeah, I'm unashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew, then to the Gentile. And he looked at me, he's like, yes. I didn't have the heart in that moment to tell him that I have a 116 tattoo on my arm. Right? That's like the thing. If he would have said, Romans 115. What, what is it? He just happened to pick the passage that I have tattooed on my body. So just a, a word of warning. If you get a tattoo, make sure you memorize the passage. All right? God might use it to do great things one day. But I... I I just didn't have time to come clean about that. I did tell him I was on staff at a church. But like I said, I tell you the story not to boast about me, but just to say, have we put up with all these different false gospels and all these things that are not the true Jesus? That we can have these conversations, but not actually speak about the correct Jesus, right? Not really know what we're talking about. I think it would be a challenge for us to go door to door, for me to go door to door with my faith, answering people's questions, pointing them back to Jesus. That's exactly what he was doing. Paul goes on to speak into the struggle with the false apostles. He says, indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. See, the first thing Paul's saying, he's like, you know what? I, I'm probably not as good of a communicator as these guys. They're phenomenal. They can get on the stage and communicate like crazy, but they don't have the knowledge that I have, right? L listen to what it says. Paul, really quick, Paul wrote almost half the New Testament. He has the knowledge. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel— of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, right? And not just any Pharisee. He had trained on, under a Pharisee who was held in high regard by all the people. Like he was trained in the law, right? He goes on, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He had the knowledge. He had it for sure. But that's not even what he's talking about. In verse 7, he goes into what he's talking about. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Right? It's not even about this knowledge, this, this book smart stuff. 
It's about this personal relationship with Jesus. I count all of that as loss, as rubbish compared to my relationship with Jesus. That's what it was all about. I, I read a story the other day uh, about a group of people who were eating a meal together. And at the end of the meal, it was agreed upon that everyone would recite something. And so there was this uh, well-known actor that, that got up and uh, with all the resources of eloquent speech and dramatic art, he began to recite Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Some of us might, might know that. And uh, as he went through, there was this tremendous applause, right? When he was finished, tremendous applause. Oh my gosh, incredible. He is so gifted. And then a quiet man followed him and began to recite Psalm 23 as well. And people started to chuckle. Maybe it was, does he not realize we just heard that? Or does he really think he's going to do it as well as this well-known actor did? Not a chance, right? But before he ended, there was a stillness that was more eloquent than any applause. And we had spoken the last words, there was silence. And then this well-known actor leaned over and he said, Sir, I know the psalm, but you know the shepherd. Something completely different. There's something different about a personal relationship with Jesus. One of the godliest men in my life is not a pastor. Uh, He's not an elder. He's a PE coach. He's not a man that's known for his eloquent speech. Uh, And he would be the first to tell you that. He's not going to get up in front of a crowd and give some incredible message. But he's a man that's going to disciple you one-on-one in those teachable moments of life, right? There, there are plenty of people that know scripture and he's one of them. He knows scripture, but even more so than knowing scripture, he knows the savior. There's something different about this relationship with Jesus. And this is exactly who Paul is. I guarantee you, Paul could go toe to toe with any one of these false teachers. I guarantee you, right? But, but where he is boasting in and where his knowledge comes from is through a relationship with Jesus, something that these false apostles simply do not have. And so this is how he has shown his jealous love for them. Right now we're going to flip and he's going to show his generous love to them, how he's been generous to them. He says in verse 7, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge, right? Because you have not paid big money for this, do you not see it as valuable? This is something that the false apostles were, were using against him. That Paul's not charging you because he doesn't really have anything worth charging. He doesn't have anything of value. That's why he's not charging you. When this was completely false, Paul had everything of value. Everything that was freely given to him. And so he was seeking to freely give it to others. Right? The Corinthians, are, they're kind of like our children at times. They just don't understand the value of some things. We, we were on a trip the other day. We were in a store, and my, my children have three sons, so this story goes times three. But it was, Daddy, can we have this? Daddy, can we have that? Daddy, can we get this? Daddy, can we get that? I finally gave in. I said, you can get whatever you want. Just spend your own money. Right? And all of a sudden, the question stopped. Maybe that's not the best example, but there are times that as parents, we choose not to burden our children with different things. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. I'm here to take care of you, church, and I so enjoy doing it. I don't want it to ever be a burden to you. He says in verse 8, 
I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. I have not taken anything from you. I've wanted my teaching to be pure and not a burden upon you. And I share because I love you. And everybody knows it. Everybody knows that I love you. Really quick, is our, is our personal service the same as Paul's? Do we realize that, that one, we have something to give? Paul had something to give. We also have something to give. Each one of us has time, talents, resources. There are all kinds of things we can do with that. Right? And even beyond that, we have a personal relationship with Jesus. You have something to give. Do you realize that? And then secondly, do you realize that we get to rather than we have to? We get to share Jesus with people. I've come to this understanding in my life that God does not need me. He wants me. God does not need you. Welcome to church. (laughs) He wants you. He wants you to be a part of what he is doing. Do we realize these things? Is our personal service mirroring that of Paul's, right? And I love in this passage, we see this support and this networking of the church. That other churches supported Paul as he went out and he preached the gospel all over the world. Right? We, we as a church, that, that's what we do. And it's not, again, to boast about who we are. It's just to say, this is what we see in Scripture. And this is what we want to live out. Right? Other, other churches, ministries, missionaries that we support. And Keith is usually the one to talk about this. That the, the first 13% that comes in, we, we turn around and it goes straight back out to outreach. Right? It, locally, all over the world. There, there are churches in our own community that we support. Right? Can you imagine? That's what it's supposed to look like. These churches in in our community are not our competition. They're our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And we have an opportunity to support them. Some of my best friends in town are youth pastors at other churches. Right? This is what it looks like in the Bible. This is what it should look like for us. And I've been fortunate enough to, to see some of the ministry that we get to be a part of through support all over the world. This past May, I got to go to the Philippines. And I got to uh, see a church plant that we had supported for seven years as a church. Right? And now they, they are self-sustaining. And then we got to meet a new pastor of a church plant that we are now supporting. A godly man. We spent time with him and his wife and their two kids. We got to spend time with this, uh, this mission organization that's planning churches, that's discipling people, that has this incredible camp model that, that if I share with you, you would not believe it, right? In the Philippines, this is, this is what it looks like. That, no, I'm kidding. This is at a mall in the Philippines. In, in Metro Manila, there are like 24 million people and there are malls everywhere. Every store that we have in the States is in the Philippines. It kind of blows your mind, but this is Paw Patrol. Anybody who is a parent of children, you know Sky from Paw Patrol. And so you take pictures that you want to share with your children later so that they can laugh and they can smile Someone in one of the other services was like, I'm just laughing at your fanny pack. 
it's fine, okay? Judge me if you want. I don't care. Uh, but let's go ahead and take that down. <clears throat> anyway, thank you. So this, this camp ministry that they have, it's a six-hour bus ride to camp. Really quick, we drive two hours to McCall. Oh, it's windy. I'm going to throw up. Six hours from Metro Manila to their campsite. Okay, and when they get there, it's mountains and it's trees. And the students are just, take my picture, take my picture. Will you take my picture? And you're thinking, have you never had your picture taken before? No, they've had their picture. They've just never been out of the city. Their whole life, they've been in the city. So they want to take their picture in front of the mountains, in front of the trees. Right, the six-hour bus ride that they go up one evening. Okay, they have evening services. They stay that night. They have services the next morning, and then they come home. It's two days, one night. Every single day, they bring a new camp up, send a new camp down, new camp up, send that camp down. From January to June, 1,100 students a night. 1,100. I'm telling you, it will blow your mind. And this is what it looks like. It's this huge arena full of people. There are fans upon fans. There are fans that are going to cool down the fans personal fans that you have because it's hot and it's humid and it's sticky, right? This pastor got up and he, and he shared and, and kind of called out everybody in the room that this is how you're living and you shouldn't be living and, and this doesn't represent Jesus well. There were over 500 students that gave their lives to Jesus at this camp. It was incredible, right? And this was the reason that I went out there to, to see this camp, to see what were they doing? What is God doing across the world? And, and be reminded of what is he doing in Idaho. And I realized that we have the same heart. We have the same mission. We want to see law students find Christ. We want to see people take steps toward Jesus. We want to see students discipled. Right, really quick, if your student is not signed up for camp, can I just ask you why not? Why are they not signed up for camp? Here in a couple weeks, this is the highlight to our ministry year. Not in the sense that we put every egg in this basket, but in the sense that God does amazing things during these weeks. There are students that give their lives to him. There are students that give their, their pains and their struggles and their setbacks to him. Their, their unknowns and their fears and their doubts. But guess what he does? He accepts them and he forgives them. And he leads them. Every single one of them. If your student is not signed up for camp, I want to beg you to sign them up. And not because of the, the jet skis or the rafting or the silent disco party, but because they're going to have an encounter with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I promise you, you will not regret it. And if it's finances that you're thinking about, right, don't, don't let that hinder you. You are part of an incredibly generous church that God has already used to provide a way to get there. Okay, so that's my heart about camp. But Paul finished that one. He said, and why? Because I do not love you. God knows that I do. Why do I share all of this with you? Right? Because I love you. He goes on and he he shows us that he's not going to let up. He's going to stop at nothing. Okay, verse 12 What I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claims of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, 
disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It says in verse 15, So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Right? Here, Paul is saying that these men disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Another translation put it as masquerading. Right? Pretending to be something that you're not. And we shouldn't be surprised because Satan himself does this. People in, in this time did that, and people in our time do this as well. And maybe you've talked with some of these people, maybe you've had a conversation, that there are people who consciously masquerade around, pretending to be something they're not. But there's also people who unconsciously might do that. And that's a fear that I have. And so I found a four-part test that could help us just get to the, the core of what we believe. How, how many of you guys enjoy tests? You all failed. I was waiting for a hand to go up. Sorry. No, I know it's summer. Okay, we're going to play a little game, have a little test, but play along with me. All right, a four-part test. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to fill these in. But test number one, do you know salvation through the cross? Or is there something else that you're looking to? Something else that you're clinging to? Is it your, your works or your deeds? Is it if your good outweighs your bad? Test number one is, do you know salvation by the work that's been done on the cross? Test number two, are you growing in the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer, meditation, and the knowledge of God? Are you led by the Holy Spirit? Do you spend time in prayer? Do you have a desire to learn more about God? Are you growing in these areas? That's test number two. Test number three, is there a great desire to spread the kingdom of God by example and by preaching and teaching? Do you actually live it out? Do you live out your faith? Do you share with others? Do you disciple others? Maybe even in those one-on-one moments of life. That's test number three. Test number four, are you bringing others to Christ by individual searching, by visiting, and by public witness? Are you looking for the less than? Are you looking for the lonely? Are you looking for the marginalized? Are you looking for the people who do not have a relationship with Jesus? Are you reaching out to your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? Do your neighbors know that you have a relationship with Jesus. I just thought that this test could could help remind us of of where our hope is found and what our mission is. Our hope is found in the cross, and that's it. The work that Jesus did on the cross. And our mission is to go find people and bring them to the cross. That's what it is, those, those four tests. As we close, I want to go back to verse 12. Right? Paul said, what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. I'm not going to stop. I will not let up. I'm going to do everything I can to undermine what they're doing. Right? Because I want to show people the real 
Jesus. I want to share the free gift of salvation with people. Because there's, there's something that we have to understand. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus your good works. Jesus plus these books. Jesus plus, it's Jesus. Jesus plus any of that stuff equals nothing. But the truth is, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I had a conversation with a lady a few years ago who was following some of these false teachings. And I remember she got so excited that I was a Christian, that I had a relationship with Jesus. And I was like, this is awesome. And she said, this is, that's awesome. You have a a relationship with Jesus. That's a great place to start. I remember sitting there and I was like, what are you talking about? That's a great place to finish. That's the only thing that matters at the finish was that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I want us to understand that this is why Paul is doing this. It's about Jesus. I'm jealous for you and I've been generous toward you because I want you to see Jesus, right? It wasn't his dignity and his honor that was on the line. It was that of Christ's. And so I want to encourage us, as we see in our community Christ's dignity and his honor on the line, that that we would be able to point people back to the true Jesus as well, right? And and, and understand that truth, that we don't need to add anything to Jesus. Let Let me go ahead and pray for us. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for an opportunity to to work through second corinthians chapter 11 and just paul's passion as he shares his love for this church god the fact that you plus anything anything we add to you ultimately equals nothing it's about you you plus nothing equals everything so god i ask that we would be mindful of that that we would not begin to divide our heart into other things because that will ultimately lead to destroying our relationship with you. Thank you so much for an opportunity to go through this this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.